0: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor, and this is Then What? With another story of a big then what business moment, which transformed into real success made possible by real leadership. No compromise. Tyla Abbott loves to create first, like her self-funded company, Aether Beauty, the world's first zero-waste makeup product, winner of Allure's Best of Beauty Awards for 2021. A pretty big deal. And she simply doesn't compromise. Tyla has proven you don't have to sacrifice efficacy or payoff to create a clean and natural brand with good intent. Coming up, you'll hear how she built a fast-growing company on a shoestring budget, why she's opening up the company to the public, the importance of understanding infrastructure and material sourcing, and the worst thing a brand can do in trying to become sustainable. Plus, what happened in Tyla's then-what moment when she faced the reality of the pandemic with every door of her biggest retail partner closing indefinitely. Thank you, Tyler. Again, I appreciate you taking your time out and willing to share your story with yeah, us. Yeah, Of course. Thank you. Rising to the position at the level of senior director of product development at a major top shelf brand like Sephora amongst the biggest players in the massive beauty industry is a huge accomplishment. Share with me the moment when you decided I'm not satisfied with this. I'm going to start my own beauty brand.
1: As a creative person, so my background is actually in fashion design. And I worked in fashion before I transitioned to beauty. I know, I always know the moment when I'm ready to move on. It's when I'm not happy being creative anymore. And so once you're in a position long enough, you kind of get bored and you kind of start looking for the next thing for yourself. And for me, I just started to have a disconnect with formulating conventional cosmetics, and living an organic lifestyle. So I've been a vegetarian for over 29 years. I worked as an organic cooking college and was pronouncing quinoa correctly before anyone knew what the heck it was. I got an organic <laughs> couch made because I'm terrified of fire retardants and did all the natural stuff with my kids. And I've kind of wanted to do better while at Sephora because I still loved my job. I got to travel the world. I got paid very well. I had a great team. Um, But basically, I volunteered there because they were trying to create their sustainability category. Mm -hmm. And so I became they head of research and development for sustainability for all of Sephora on top of my day-to-day role as a product developer. And basically in that role, I got to um, visit um, sustainable cosmetic conferences. I started talking to packaging engineers in the space, really sort of found out how bad the packaging piece was in the industry. But at the same time, Sephora, all the merchants were ideating their clean category. And the buyers brought me in just to have another opinion when all of these third-party clean brands were coming to present as options for Sephora to bring in. And they just brought me in because they knew how obsessed I was with this category. Um, And I was sitting there in these meetings, and I had never been so bored at meetings at Sephora. So you're used to seeing (laughs) formula innovation and colors and trends, and it was just very like about a decade behind in the industry. And this was a few years ago because the space has definitely skyrocketed and changed. But I was sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, none of these founders come from the beauty industry. They don't come from product development experience. I was sitting there telling a brand how to fix their foundation before they relaunched it. And they literally stopped the meeting and they were like, who are you? And I just realized, I was like, I can formulate (laughs) way better than these options that, that people were bringing in those like, you know, I'm a Sephora girl. And I would get so mad when I went to like a credo or a detox market and spent a bunch of money on color cosmetics. And if I take the time to put my makeup on being a mom being a working mom, it better be there in two hours. And it just wasn't. And then all the colors were very, very plain and vanilla. And I am a color person. I like Fenty. I like Natasha Denona, Urban Decay. Like for me, makeup is playful and fun. And so I just saw the hole in the market for a clean beauty brand that could really compete um, with the efficacy and the colorfulness of a conventional beauty brand. And that's the moment I was like, oh, I could totally do that. (laughs) And so Wow. I kind of went home and sat down and naively crunched the numbers with my husband to figure it out. (laughs) Um, But it was enough of a mental boost to leave. So I left in April 2018. And I launched the brand in June on the summer solstice of the same year.
0: Wow. Then what happened after you kind of launched the brand? How were you able to, you know, bring it out to consumers and Your presence out there? Sure. So
1: I naively thought I would be a DTC brand with like the smallest budget ever. So (laughs) um, my background is clearly in retail and I am still completely self funded. So, um, you know, not having a large budget for marketing campaigns to pay influencers and all these sort of digital um, levers to pull. I quickly pivoted um, because retailers (laughs) actually started knocking. So the first product I launched was the world's first fully recyclable eyeshadow palette. Um, And not only that, it was vegan. I mean, the whole brand is vegan, cruelty-free, clean, so I ban over 2,700 ingredients, Um, but it's also ethically sourced, which is something that the space doesn't really talk about, um, which means it's child labor-free, it's forced labor-free, which people don't even realize what's going on in the beauty industry when they purchase something Um, but then the packaging was fully recyclable. So I did all this research and I learned that the EPA reported that a third of the landfill was coming from the beauty industry. And I was like, that's insane. Um, I don't feel good creating a brand knowing that my kids have to clean up later. So I got so much press when I first launched and I didn't reinvent the wheel with the design of the Palette. I just kept asking questions and I kept hounding my packaging engineers and I kept asking more like just going you know well what about the inks do the inks mean it can be recycled because just because something is paper doesn't mean paper can easily be recycled um, our infrastructure is so messed up in this country for recycling and all of that and I learned that mirrors and magnets are completely unrecyclable so I removed those from the pallets but it got a lot of noise so retailers started knocking. And sure, I had relationships with Sephora, but that was really it because I I worked for the private label brand. So I wasn't working with brands and other retailers at all. And um, I actually partnered with Credo Beauty first and then started partnering with Sephora and then a few other retailers. So um, I'm in over 90 different retailers to date. That's... <laughs> um, yeah, that... It- including That's Sephora, amazing. Credo, Anthropology. I'm in Du in the EU. Um, I'm in a ton of mom and pop clean beauty retailers, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much global, except for um, some places in Asia that you can't sell without um, testing on animals, unfortunately.
0: Your company is the world's first zero waste mm-hmm. makeup products. And You did this all Mm -hmm. self-funded, so no VC, no um, other funding. How was that journey, and what were some of the challenges, or can you take us through some of the challenges you might have faced being a self-funded beauty brand?
1: Sure. So I'm a really good negotiator. (laughs) (laughs) What I did, I literally took out a second mortgage on my home. I took out $100,000, so I built this whole company on $100,000, and cash flow is always my issue. Um, and I always need more money. Right. That's always the small business sort of dilemma. But um, what I did because of my experience with Sephora, you know, Sephora, what happened was NPD, which is um, I don't even know what NPD stands for. It's kind of bad, but it's like a national conglomerate of data for the beauty and fashion world that companies pay a lot of money to access. So if you're Sephora, you give them your data, but then you can pull from other, you know, who's beating Mac or Ulta or all these brands. And you kind of see with the trends that are happening in the market. And it's just a, like a data sphere. And they come every year and present to Sephora um basically, you know, opportunities that they see for them and sort of these data points of what's going on in the industry. And a month after I left, which I didn't even launch the brand yet, I just had a landing page in my Instagram, NPD came and presented my brand back to Sephora. As a clean California wellness brand for them um, to watch as an opportunity. And all everyone who knew me was like cheering in the in the corporate office, People, my friends were texting Aww. me. And then the buyer was texting me because before I left, I was like, peace out, love you guys talk to me in like three to four years. And she was like, are you sure? Let's have a conversation. I was like, we can have a conversation. But I've been on the other side and negotiating those contracts for seven years. So I really understand how it can make or break, especially small brands. So it took me about three months to negotiate that contract. But I have very, very favorable terms. Um, and then I have really good terms with my manufacturer. So that's the other Piece. so many manufacturers when you're a small brand, A, if they even are willing to work with you, B, you know, they always want at least half up front or they want the majority of the order up front. Half up front. I actually mm. have net 90 terms after delivery, which is literally unheard of. So in theory, in theory... If I'm able to sell the majority of my product in those first 90 days, which doesn't always happen, um, I can front the inventory just that way. So it's like these little tiny tricks that are able to work with me with being so small. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Um, But yeah, money is always a struggle. Um, I've talked to VCs too since day one, and you know I don't fit into their checkbox, especially in beauty, because beauty is known for crazy margins and crazy growth, and nobody is really talking about sustainability. It's all about more, 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 and you know my numbers are good, but you know I'm a square peg, and they're trying to put me in a round hole and the majority of these people want you to be at 3 million dollars, 5 million, 10 million all this sort of thing. And I'm like, well, I need help, you know, I can't just get to 3 million without funding. You know, right now I'm at a million. I've done a little over 2 million since I've started, but um it needs money in order to sort of fuel the growth. So it's kind of this catch 22 all the time with um VC investors. So I know you've heard of me from um, cause artists podcast, So I'm actually partnering with Republic yep. and going um, on their platform in January. So I am opening Perfect. up the business to the public. So I'm really excited for that, especially with all the growth that I have planned for next year. So just really proving, you know, it's a really hard that's space kind of when you're a business that's, you know, a benefit corporation doing good in a category where Businesses don't do that. So um, it's been a challenge yep. trying to find the right partner that really believes in sustainability and believes that you don't have to sacrifice efficacy or innovation or
0: payoff um, in order to create a brand. Yeah. And that, what you said there like really resonates, right? Because I think a lot of the time when you're creating clean or natural brands with good intent there comes a time where you're kind of asked to compromise that, right? Whether it's for profit, whether it's for keeping this going to manufacture it and navigating through that is very challenging. Can you tell us about that time a little bit more? And was there a moment during that time where you're, you felt like giving up, you know, stopping the company or what happened if you don't mind just sharing with us a little bit more about that. Yeah,
1: there's always times that I'm like, Oh, God, do I have to close the door? So when you're so small? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, things that affect your business that I think the hardest challenge with what I'm doing was getting used to the ups and downs of an entrepreneur. So the roller coaster ride of emotions is no joke. And you know, one day you're up and one day you're down and it can really just affect your mental health. So that to me was a huge learning curve because having these huge emotions and are are hard to navigate when you finally come to realize that's just the normalcy of a small business. So I'm not really phased as much as I was in the beginning when something would happen because Stuff happens every single day, good or bad or whatnot. So, um, realizing it's not the end all be all on either way is something that has taken a few years to come to realize. Um, But, you know, I'm very passionate for what I'm doing. And I've won so many awards for the products that I've launched that, you know, I'm really excited to be paving the way for. Other brands to do this because it's not okay. All this single use plastic, all of these ingredients that people are using every single day on their skin, on their children. um, And people don't, people don't know exactly what they're putting on their skin. It's really interesting. So people um, understand clean skincare. So clean skincare has been on fire and is just growing, which is great. And Skincare buyers understand sustainability. It's really interesting. A retailer shared with me that they did a survey with all their clients and they asked what, you know, to rank what they look for in a product with skincare. And number 1 was efficacy and number 2 was sustainability with skincare. In makeup, it was like number 20, sustainability. So, it's getting up there, but the client has no idea Um, about the space and what the industry is doing. So A, that's really interesting to me. But B, you know, it's, I think it's really easy when you're buying food to turn around the ingredients and read and understand what you're buying. It's not that easy to read an ingredient list when it comes to beauty ingredients. So There are many brands, also there's so much greenwashing in this space, and people trust all these influencers and celebrities, and a lot of times they're just private labeling all this stuff that other companies are putting out there. So um, there was a clean beauty influencer that launched her own brand, and her makeup has Teflon in it, and it's just mind boggling to me because the client and it sold out in like two minutes, something crazy, but people don't understand what they're purchasing and what they're buying. And then on top of it, you know, when it comes to the life cycle of a product, when it comes to who is making your product, there's a lot of prison labor when it comes to manufacturing in China. A lot of people know about child labor with mica, but it kind of stops there um they don't really realize everything that goes on when it's um creating a makeup product
0: that's so true cuz to be honest like even myself like i don't know the extent when i hear clean itself right like you're like oh it's clean yeah let me buy it um and you think more about that when it comes to skincare than you do about like makeup because you're in, in your head you're kind of like oh, i'm taking it off anyways right but it's It's actually staying on your face, so it's as important as skincare is, but it's not as discussed like all the things that are happening in the cosmetics industry or in the beauty industry in general. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on social media at Ellen Accounting and visit us or contact me directly at LNaccountingCPA.com. And subscribe to Then What Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. Are you looking for financial advice or an outsourced CFO, or maybe just help with your books or financials? Well, let's talk. As a listener of the podcast, I want to offer you a free consultation call with me. Go on our website at ellenaccountingcpa.com and book a call with me today. Again, that's ellenaccountingcpa.com. When you reach out, please make sure to mention this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. How have you, like, since you started your business, and I know this is something that you were into even before, right, even at Sephora, but like, how have you worked on it like educating others as well through your brand? Cause I think what you pointed out is like very, very important.
1: Yeah. So education is definitely a huge, um, pillar for the brand. So I actually write a blog that's on the website that I get a ton of traffic, um, to, which is really great too, just for, Um, driving traffic to my own website. Mm -hmm. But there's so much learning so much about digital marketing. But um, but basically, there's so much to learn that I just kept getting questions from clients. And you know, when you're the only employee for so long, you get sick of writing the same answers. So I was like, I'm just going to write a blog and I can point people to the blog. And so I write all the time about all different topics from ingredients to certain ingredients, to packaging, to child labor, to all the sort of hidden ins and outs in the industry. I also do a ton of podcasts and interviews. So um, doing the best that I can to really help educate people. But, you know, one person can't really change all of this you know I'm not an influencer I'm not a famous person so I do the best I can but I I do talk on my Instagram a lot um, and I do try to educate as much as possible Um, but at the end of the day you know the product really has to work no matter what and that to me is really why I did this because again going back to my own frustrations with buying all these clean brands and putting them on and then like them being off your face later, you know, that to me, number one was the most important thing. And then it had to be, you know, as clean and sustainable as possible. So I'm really proud because my products are rated five stars, even on Sephora.com, which is incredibly hard to do. An average color conventional brand, like their products rate a 4.2. And then if you take my brand out of clean makeup, clean makeup is a 3.8. So there is such a hole. And people also have, you know, a conception that clean makeup doesn't work. So that also is a hurdle that I've been trying to get people to trust and try because it was like, look, this is actually clean makeup. And I get reviews like, Holy shit! This is clean. Like I had no idea, blah blah blah, um, that clean could work this way. And that to me is really the most important thing because not only is it clean, it works. It's innovative and it's recyclable. It's ch- It's all these things that no other brand is doing, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's interesting what you said that people you know, put on their clean skincare and then put conventional makeup on top. And there is a misconception, you know, there's a lot of people that are like anti-clean and it's like, I don't know, I guess it's (laughs) fake news. I don't really understand why people think it's not real or not good or whatever, but there are a lot of influencers that are anti-clean. But even if you don't believe that certain ingredients are harming you, a lot of conventional brands they just use cheap ingredients i mean it's just as cheap as possible at the end of the day especially if they're manufacturing in china but a lot of the cheap fillers they put in their products block your pores from breathing so there's silicone in there the teflon all this sort of stuff and whether or not you believe in whatever that ingredients does for your health you have to believe that it blocks your skin from breathing. And when you're blocking your skin from breathing, you're actually causing it to age faster. So you're doing absolutely the opposite of what you should be doing, especially if you're putting clean skincare and taking care of your skin health. So you're actually undoing all the good that you just did. So all of my products are skincare based. So they're all organic coconut oil and shea butter as a base. So you're putting that moisture and you're putting that um, skincare back into your skin And letting your skin breathe. So um, it it is complicated, but it's also kind of easy once you get to know and understand the basics of how products are made. And I've come really full circle with this because I mentioned before that my background was in fashion design. Mm -hmm. And so I um, ended up in San Francisco because I went to graduate school there and I have a double master's degree in fashion design and knitwear. And I worked for, like, a small local design house that had all their production in-house, which is very unheard of, especially for knitwear. And she was around. She's still around at the time, like 20 years or something. And she decided to transfer all of her production to China. And I was there during that transfer. And I was very young, new in my career, And then I had to go once every two months to China for a few years for fittings, for, you know, whatever production sort of things we were doing. And she had very small units. We were using factories that were very small in the middle of nowhere before iPhones, before all this stuff. And I used to get um, taken in a car all over No idea where I was, but I saw so many things that I wish I could unsee from child labor to forced labor to all these things. And I was just so young in my career and I was so, you know, bottom of the totem pole in that company that didn't really have influence over it. And, but it always stuck with me to really understand who is making your product. You know, when you understand the bigger circle, it's a lot easier to just think, oh, I'm buying this palette from Huda. And, you know, it's who does company. But, you know, if there's 50 ingredients, who's manufacturing those 50 ingredients? Who's making the actual formula and putting it together and the packaging and the components? There's so many people that touch it. And, you know, are all those people paid a fair wage? Probably not. Um, Are all those ingredients sourced fairly? Probably not. Like all, you know, there's so many things that I could, you know, lift open or open up a can of worms about the industry, I guess, that people um, just don't understand all the ins and outs and nuances. And even people who work in the industry don't understand because you usually work with formulators, manufacturers, and a lot of times they won't tell you who they're sourcing their products from, which is an even bigger issue. Um, Even when I was, you know, designing things for Sephora collection, I didn't understand the recyclability of things and there I was, you know, trying to do better and, you know, but I, I didn't recyclability wasn't a requirement of certain things. So, you know, but I was in in charge of creating this product. So it's just a disconnect that people didn't really understand what they're designing and putting it out there. I put it upon myself to go to recycling facilities That is such a huge thing that I always recommend people doing because A, it's free. I mean, I don't know in like COVID world how easy it is to go to your recycling facility, but they do tours. And when I was ideating my brand, I was trying to think of all these different materials to use for products for primary packaging. And I brought them all with me to the recycling facility. I'm like, I'm going to see them go on the conveyor belt and see where they go. Well, very naive. It's just like tons and tons of garbage trucks after, you know, recycling truck after recycling truck, just dumping tons of product out there. And it also flying in the air and going everywhere. Like it's, it's very mind opening. I believe any sort of designer or product developer should really understand, you know, A, how our infrastructure works and take back programs as well as, you know, the materials that you're sourcing, just the same with, you know, fabric. It's easy to just buy the fabric, but, you know, is that fabric reusable? Is it made with plastic? There's all different um, elements to it. I kind of take the um, perspective of understanding and sourcing all my raw materials to the, to every aspect of the business. So for packaging, for, um, sourcing the packaging piece and understanding where all those materials are coming from and understanding how I can go back into the system. So I'm a little bit about like a dork about this stuff, but it's important to me. So
0: no, I think are. this is no, this is super important. And I, I'm glad you're expressing it because, you know, we work, we've seen so many beauty brands as well. Um, and a lot of brands in general, especially startups and even bigger corporations, they get a lot of things manufactured from China without or other countries without knowing where it's actually coming from. And they've never seen the material or they've never even visited the place to know where their products are coming from, right? And sometimes it's like they're, everyone kind of also turns a blind eye to things. You know, even if they did know, they're like, ah, let's, we don't really know. We haven't really been there kind of situation. How have you educated or have you tried talking to other beauty brands that you might know to educate them and kind of talk to them about the situations that are happening as well?
1: I I, I am a lecturer a lot of times. So um, like events with fit 'em or events with other retailers I've done to really sort of help Other brands move the needle. You know, there's so many avenues brands can take, and it also depends on what the product is. So it's really complicated with color cosmetics because there's so many mixed materials um, that it's hard to come up with a sustainable solution. It's a lot easier in skincare. It's a lot easier in hair care because you're not having like pins and mirrors and, you know, all these little things just in one little component Um, And size matters too. So what I I really let people know is all those fun minis that we all love to get. Anything smaller than a credit card can't get recycled. So there are billions, billions of samples created annually. And no matter what material it is, it can't get recycled because it's too small. So things like that or understanding fill size, those are really easy changes But again, it also goes against the beauty industry, right? Because especially in this COVID world, you know, how do you sample and how do you have someone try something if they can't go in a store and swipe anything? I mean, remember going into a store and swiping things and like touching product? Like, I don't think anyone will ever do that again, you know? So it's really interesting to think about how the space is going to change, but It'll probably a lot be a lot more sampling, but there are retailers like Credo that are um, putting guidelines in place for their brands. So um, they have something about sampling, and it can't be smaller than what I just suggested. So um, it'll be interesting how they sample in the future, um, but I do think, you know it takes a lot of education on both sides, on the client side and on the brand side. And I do tell brands a lot because they want to just turn around and be sustainable. And I'm like, the worst thing you can do is just greenwash a bunch of stuff, right? Which a lot of brands do. And I sit there and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. And it drives me crazy, right? But, you know, just... If you can focus on one aspect of your business, like I always say, do a product life cycle on one thing, because there could be something you could change with the water, with the transportation, doesn't necessarily have to be the packaging that can make a huge impact or maybe even a bigger impact than the packaging you're producing. So there are a lot of avenues and ways to go for your business in order to do better, but we all need to do better because it's not really okay what we're doing.
0: I couldn't agree more with you. You know, with this whole COVID and pandemic, global pandemic that has happened, it's obviously changed the way consumers shop. So retail wasn't open for a bit. And how did that impact your company? Yeah,
1: I mean, it was crazy. So, you know, I was in all doors at Sephora and all of a sudden Sephora's doors closed, right? Well, it's crazy because I was doing the same and more business on Sephora's.com that I did when all their doors were open. So that actually, you know, it does put into question the future of retail, right? When the world does open up and even now with their doors open or other retailers' doors open, people are telling me they're just going in for what they know they want. Like no one's browsing, no one's finding new things. They do their research online and then they just go there to pick it up. So that's interesting for me, and that's interesting for my business because my DTC went from just 12% last year because I was very retailer heavy. I mean, you talk about 90 retailers, right? Yeah. To 35% of my business. So it drastically increased, which is great because it helps with my cash flow, and it helps with you know my margins and all of that. And then it really puts into question, you know, if you're able to play the digital game, you know, where do you really see other retailers necessarily, you know, playing? Um and how do they fit into that new area of what you're building with your brand? Because when you are so small like me, you know, retailers don't necessarily do a bunch of promotions or marketing for you because you're competing against all these huge brands that are going to just You know, they drop something new and it sells out in two seconds. You know, I'm not at that point. So it is really interesting just to sort of pause and be like, you know, can I grow this brand digitally? And what could that really look like? Especially what I find really interesting in the retail space. So I find like retailer innovation has been dying in my opinion, and the innovation is really coming from these DTC brands, right? And when I sit in meetings with some of my retailers, you know, a lot of the buyers just tell me to do a product that this other brand is doing, right? This other product is selling really well, you should do a version of that. And then all you get is no innovation in the market, you know, you just get a regurgitated version of something else. Um, There's no real, um, backing or pushing of true innovation anymore. And I'm like, huh, but I could do it on my brand, you know, I could put it on my website, and I can test and I can try. So if I get to be more creative on my own site, and that to me is what drives me as a creative person as a product developer, then, you know, it, it does put into question the value, I guess, of these other players. So that to me is sort of where I am at the moment, um, but I'm really I've been able to put my own cash flow into digital marketing, so I've been finally able to hire. <laughs> it was me before, and I'm like, I, you know, I'm very much the first person to say this is not my wheelhouse and I yes. shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> but when you're one person, you do the best you can, right? Multiple. Hats. And so now <laughs> I have people behind me who like. It is their wheelhouse, and they're very well. um, They've worked in the area for a very long time, so I'm very excited for the future. Um, And I have some really innovative products up my sleeve for next year. So, just excited for what's to come.
0: What What is next for the company, and what should everyone look forward for next year? Everything I launch tends
1: to be the first. So last year I launched the first fully recyclable and 100% recycled liquid lip in the beauty industry. So it was made with 100% PCR, so no virgin plastic at all. And it was the first liquid lip component that's the same material just through and through, which is seems so basic, but it's actually really hard to do, especially in color cosmetics. And that completely sold out immediately. This is a fun COVID story. And then the manufacturing shut down due to COVID, and then she just went out of business. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was fun. So then um, I've been working with another manufacturer, but I will have those in stock again um, in the first quarter of next year. So I'm excited for that. But that formula, not even for the packaging, won Allure's Best of Beauty Award for 2020. So that is like the Oscars of Beauty. So for me, doing stuff like that and getting a- awards for it just shows me I'm going down the right path, right? And if I can do all of this on a shoestring budget, can you imagine what I could do with like actual funding behind me, you know? So but there's that and then there there will be a few other firsts. So if you think of other categories, I'm not gonna say, but um I'm going into new categories where there hasn't been, you know, a real killer formula for recyclable packaging. For me, I always have the formula first. So being a product developer, people are always like, how do do you develop these formulas? Like, how is that like the hardest thing with your business? And I'm always like, no accounting is number one. (laughs) Number two, the formulation piece is the easiest part to me. But sometimes it'll be the packaging that'll hold me up because I'm trying to figure out a sustainable way. And that's the one good thing about being self-funded is that I don't have people being like, well, you have to launch this, you have to launch this, you have to meet these numbers, blah, 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 all this craziness, when I won't launch a product unless it's up to my standards. So, you know, I think I'm doing pretty good so far. Um, But I have about two years of formula I've developed that I just need really funding and like figuring out packaging solves um, to be able to launch them for the future. But this year I'll be launching three three new categories, three new firsts. And then next year I have a lot more up my sleeve. So just really excited for the future because, you know, I'm just excited. There's so many categories to go into to create innovative formulas that work, that make it easy for my client to wear and make it easy for her to not feel guilty about or to figure out what do I do when I'm done with this.
0: That's amazing. I'm super excited for you and your company for next year. And I can't wait to see like what more you guys will accomplish. How can customers find your product and connect with you?
1: Uh, My website is Aether Beauty Co. So A-E-T-H-E-R. And on Instagram, it's Aether Beauty. Um, and I will be on Republic too in case anyone is interested in investing um, starting in January. Um, with the anyone can invest on that platform, which is really exciting starting at $100. So if you're interested in helping, you know self-funded female founders. It's a great space to check out some really innovative brands.
0: Thank you so much for coming on our show and speaking to us about your journey. We really appreciate it. And it was very inspiring to listen to the impact that you're making on our community um, and the world. Of course. Thanks so much for having
1: me. I appreciate it.
0: I think it's Tyla's drive and her commitment to the concept of no compromise that allows her to keep pursuing first. When you really believe in an idea and what you're doing is something people need and want, anything can be accomplished. A tough reality is that a significant portion of landfills is generated by the beauty industry. It takes an entrepreneur like Tyla Abbott to be the first one to create real change without compromise. I'm Lahari Neil Paretti. See you next week. Then What? is produced by Ellen Accounting Advisor in partnership with Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. The views and opinions expressed are those of the individuals on this podcast and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Ellen Accounting Advisor or Mouth Media Network. No portion of this program should be considered financial advice or consultation. Thank you for listening.